Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. All right, so uh, we came in this morning. Um, I don't know if they said this already. Uh, came in this morning in our room was 91 degrees. So if anybody wants to like pack up and go over there, we can do that or we could stay here. Uh, either way, um, we're here, we're present together with one another. And so um, welcome, really glad that you all are here. Um, we're spending our Sunday morning teaching times um, talking about prayer. How is it that we raise our minds and our hearts to God? Um, and some disciples came to Jesus with this simple question. Um, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And he responded with the Lord's Prayer. Um, and we've been spending time looking at different aspects of the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer. Today, I want to talk about a specific type of um, private or personal prayer called affective prayer, or um, maybe you think of like devotional uh, prayer. And so I'll look at all of this today. But let me read today's teaching text that will come up on the screen here. Today's teaching text comes from Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, and went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you not fall into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray together. So Lord, we thank you uh, that we could come and gather today. I pray that as we uh, look at your word, as we think about the ways even in, in which your son spoke to you while he was here on earth. I, I pray, God, that that would um, shape our desire to pray, that it would be something we actually want, that w it would be something that um, we're thinking about, that we're not um, looking in ourselves judgmentally, but we're actually saying, I want more relationship. I want more connection to something larger outside of myself. And so, God, if that means today that um, as we're looking at this passage, there are parts of us that maybe we don't like about ourselves or things that we say, I want that to change. I pray that we would be open and receptive to turning back towards you and thinking about prayer. Lord, meet us here by your grace. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so sixth, seventh grade, my sisters and I received the greatest present of all time, our own phone line. All right, this is back in the day where there was no like other, you know, you couldn't, it was, if the line was busy, the line was busy. Our phone number, 602-780-8704. I guarantee my dad still has it because he's a boomer and he's probably like, if the grid goes down, we have the backup line, all right? So <laughs> you, you could probably call it. I really don't know. Uh, but it, it was genius for my dad, actually, because it was in unison um, with the release of dial-up internet. And so dial-up internet, if, for those of you that are under 25, you actually needed a phone line for the internet. And so my dad put... Um, the internet on our line, so it was like either we were on the phone or the internet was on that line. I don't know how to make the noise, I tried. Um, every day though, sixth grade, I would come home 
This is kind of embarrassing. Um, I would call my best friend, Brian Kehoe. One hour, we would talk on the phone, and my stepmom was a travel agent, so it was like early days of the headset. She had a headset. She worked from home. Like, she's the, the OG work from home person. She had the headset. I had the mic with, like, the little puff right here. And so I'd get the cordless, plug it in, put it in my pocket, and I'd walk around the, the house and talk to my best friend, Brian Kehoe, because I was so cool. Um, probably not. But I was thinking about that. What do two sixth-grade boys talk about for an hour on the phone? Like, it's got to be bad, right? Like, video games and, like, maybe women, but I doubt it. I don't know. Um, My guess is it was very, very awkward, all right? What do I know, though? Um, When you talk regularly to someone, you skip all the pleasantries right? You get into the conversation. You picked up where you left off yesterday. I went to school with Brian Kehoe too, so I'm sure we spent much of the day together. And so what do we do when we get home? We just unpack the day, right? We just pick up where we left off. I probably should have like talked about how when I met my wife, it was like we couldn't stop talking, you know? It was just like this continual conversation that we were having. But the prayer that I want to talk about today is like this. It's like picking up the phone and you're just picking up where you left off. It's ongoing. It's dynamic. It's this flowing relationship, just like a close friend or a significant other. What I just read to you here in Luke 22, um, we can't miss the context because it's actually quite intense. Luke 22 is a monster chapter. It begins with Judas um, betraying Jesus. So um, when I read this, maybe I read it a little bit wrong, but let's not miss the emotion, right? Jesus is arrested. He knows he's heading to the cross Um, He's instituted uh, the Lord's Supper, or this communion meal, um, and he's done that at the Last Supper with his disciples, right? The last time he would eat food before um, his crucifixion. And so there's this little moment of reprieve, right? So we have Judas going to betray him, Last Supper, prayer and reprieve, and then arrest and crucifixion. And right in the middle of this, we get to we get a little glimpse into the heart of Jesus in how we should pray. And if you're skeptical about the Bible or if you ever have questions about it, one of the things that you can't deny in looking at the Bible is um, the beautiful and intense literature that you actually find. So I want to show you um, this. This is a little geeky. Uh, where are my Bible study people at? Like nerdy Bible study pe- Very good, very good. So you'll love this at the very least, okay? So this is actually called a chiastic structure, and I want to sh- I'll tell you why I want to show you this in just a second, but this is our verses, verses 40 to 46, and the Bible's literature is just absolutely brilliant. So here's what, here's what the biblical writer has done here in, in Luke's gospel, and Luke is very organized, probably a doctor, um, but A and A line up, it's verses 40 and 46. It's a command to Jesus to pray, and it's, it's bookended, Right? And then the passage continues on, and what is Jesus doing? He's withdrawing to pray. And then if you look on the other end, he's returning from prayer in verse 45. That's the other B. And then if you look at the C's, he's kneeling to pray, right? He's very physical in nature, what we're learning. And then he's rising from prayer. And then, of course, the the sort of climax and real, like, thrust of the passage is the prayer itself. I want to show you that because Jesus isn't one to say, you need to pray, you need to pray, you need to pray. But actually, Jesus is one to say, hey, I'm telling you you should pray, but I'm going to show you how to do it. I want to show you how to do it. And this structure actually allows for a model. And one of the things we'll talk about in our first section here is, is it's very practical. It's very embodied. 
right? There's a physicality to prayer that Jesus is describing here. So let's start with verse uh, 39 here. Jesus went out as usual. As, as usual means what? There's a repetition, right? This is something that Jesus does regularly. His disciples follow him, and on reaching the place, he says to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and pray, and prays. So this is Jesus' regular rhythm of withdrawal. He's withdrawing from his relationships um, with his disciples, and he's withdrawing from the relationships um, with the crowd to be with, his, um, to be with his father. Jesus is also withdrawing from the, and maybe this resonates with some of us, the tasks and responsibilities that he has of being Jesus. And what I love about um, the gospel writers and showing us this with Jesus is Jesus not only teaches us how to pray, Jesus teaches us where to pray, right? And so if you look in the gospels, um, Luke summarizes it like this in Luke chapter five. He says, but Jesus often went, withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Right? So that was his regular uh, rhythm of, of, of removing himself. But then he also told us what to do in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. That word room right there in the Greek is this word tamion. It, it means, um, it can translate like pantry or closet or quiet place. Um, uh, I was reading a little bit about homes in this time. A lot of the homes in this time would have like a pantry or an inner room, keep rodents out. There'd be no um, like windows or anything in that room. And what it would be is it would be the quiet place. Uh, my wife read this passage uh, years ago um, and I came home one day and everything in this closet we have, it was like this five by two situation. Everything in the closet was on the couch and like on this table. And I'm like, uh, what's, what's going on here, you know, like everything in the closet is out, and there's like this blanket spread out on the floor, and she's like, I'm creating a prayer room, and I was like, well, you're taking the Bible, like very literally here, like I'm kind of judging her, but she would go into this closet, and she would pray, and I was like, that's great, my wife, I'm glad she was speaking last week on prayer, because my wife is a praying person, I'm like, at night in bed, she's praying for her friend. She's like going back through text messages and praying. And then the other thing she prays for, which I just love, and I'm just gonna be honest, it's been working lately. Like God hears her prayers. She's been praying for parking spots. And it's like, it's clutch in the city. And so thank you, Katie. When you pray, go into your room. So it's about, there's a physicality to it. There's, a, there's space, right? But the other part of it is, think about what Jesus is saying when he says this. It's also about integrity. Pray so that, so that, it, that, that it's, it's not show. Pray so that no one sees you, right? You're praying because if you, if, if you pray in a closet alone, like you're doing that because you mean it, you, right? There's a measure of integrity, what you act and how, or what and how you act when no one is looking, right? 99% of those prayers are gonna be said with integrity. And so I think Jesus is, um, if, we're gonna, if we're gonna think about praying privately, I think Jesus is being really practical here, and I think we would miss it today if we didn't think about our context, right? Like, we live noisy lives in a noisy city, right? Our church, when we meet on Sunday, we're trying to escape noise to be with each other so that we're the ones that we're hearing, and that's very difficult. Um, the New York Times ran a piece last month called, um, it's a little alarmist, but uh, noise could take years off your life, here's how. And it's, uh, it's really interactive if, if you scroll through it. But one of the things the writers talk about is how chronic noise 
is not just annoying, but actually it increases the risk of hypertension and stroke and, and heart attack. And while I was reading this, I thought, I, honestly, I think we're all just sort of used to the noise by now. But that's actually not true. Um, in here, they, they show some data that prior noise exposure actually primes the body to overreact and amplifies the negative effects, meaning we actually need, we'll get to this in just a second, thank you, Jenny, um, meaning we actually need more quiet. We, because when we're attuned, when we're, we think we adjust to the noise, but it, it actually is still affecting us. So here's what happens according to the research. Um, I'm sorry I'm not a doctor, and if you're a doctor, this may be wrong, so uh, just a confession. Noise comes in through your ears, and they say that um, it, the, um, it relays the sound to your amygdala. The amygdala is the stress detector center of the brain, so it's setting off reactions in your body. Maybe you've walked by a jackhammer before, and you don't just like feel it in your soul, but you're just like, you feel it in like your breath, and like and it takes over. What's happening is actually your endocrine system is overreacting. It's flooding you with cortisol and adrenaline, and what happens? Your sympathetic nervous system is kicking in, accelerating your heart rate, possibly raising your blood pressure. Now, once, you know, once a month, probably no big deal. Once a day, what happens to us over time when our bodies are reacting like this? So I got kind of lost on this point this week, and I was like, I'm going for it. I did a little bit more research, and I found a project by a guy named Ben Wellington. He's a data scientist, and he mapped New York City's noisiest neighborhoods. And here's what he did. He mined the data of 140,000 noise complaint calls to 311. And so this was uh, winter 2013 to fall of 2014. It's one complaint every four minutes on average. And then he mapped the data by noise complaint and neighborhood, all right? And so construction, obviously, midtown, right? And it gets a little louder. AC units, I was like, who complains about air conditioners, you know? but apparently people in Chelsea do, all right? So if you go to the next one, um, parties. What's up, Williamsburg, all right? Williamsburg knows how to party. Um, and I guess we do too right here. And I love this, loud talking. I'm like, what's going on in like Fort Greene or Clinton Hill down here with, the, with people talking and then complaining, right? And so what's so fascinating is like, this is our context, right? We live in the context of noise. It's constant, we, we feel it. I, I, I hope that some of you are cognizant even now. I was, yesterday I was walking on 23rd Street and there was this jackhammer and I had just read this and I was thinking to myself, I feel it. Like I, I feel it deep within my like soul and in my, in my being. And the very environment that we're within is basically the opposite of withdrawal. It's, it's the opposite of escaping to be. And so do you have that space? Do you have a place to withdraw? Uh, Katie mentioned like noise-canceling headphones last week. I think that's a brilliant way uh, to think about it. I often pray at our office. We have these booths um, at WeWork, and I just think they're just really great spaces to escape the noise and, and the busy and the hurry. And we need to be mindful of the external. But Tamion is not that word, um, go into your room, is actually not just referencing um, an external physical space, but it's actually um, also can refer to like our internal anatomy, which is actually what I think is, is more important here. Withdrawing to pray is about going into the depths of our very soul and getting in touch with the things that we actually long for. Verse 41, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. 
I think what Jesus is doing, don't forget where he is, right? This is sandwiched in between the Last Supper and the cross. I think he's coming to grips and to terms with what he has to do, and he's going inward. And when we don't take the time to do this, we're overly attuned, right? And that can be literal, but I think also we can be overly attuned to our work. We can be overly attuned to how people think about us or um, the, the desire to achieve the next thing. I was talking to my therapist this week about how hard it is sometimes for me to come home and to turn off productivity Russell. And like I come home and um, like, I, I don't know how to like pause and like leave that at the door and then come inside. And he and I were talking about the nuances of that. And one of the things that he helped me realize is that, and I love this about my kids, is they don't care about productivity Russell. They, they have no idea about any of that. They couldn't care any bit about it. They just want to, they just say, daddy, come play with me, come be with me, come be present with me. And so it's a, a work of mine to walk into the door and to say, today was today, and I get to be present. And, and, and that doesn't mean ignoring, you know, what happened in my day. That doesn't mean suppressing, but it means being present with them and choosing that. And so this is a part of prayer, is this idea of withdraw. But what then is the content of Jesus's prayer? Verse 42 says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And I want to notice the, the, the parallel here, because it actually sounds a lot like the Lord's Prayer, except there's a glaring difference, right? Our Father in heaven, uh, this is, these are parallel, uh, Abba Father, right? Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, it's hallowed be your name, right? This is who you are, your character, your nature, you're holy, you're good. Everything is possible for you, right? Those things look the same. And then here's the glaring difference. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, your kingdom come. In this one, it says, take this cup from me, right? Th those, are, those are very different things. Your will be done on earth as is, is in heaven, yet not what I will, but what you will. So um, lines one, two, four, and five are like, they like equal each other, except line three your kingdom come does not equal take this cup from me. And I, I looked at this passage and I kind of thought, well, I think Jesus, that's not what Jesus meant to pray, right? He, he, he didn't mean to pray that, but he did. Jesus is essentially saying, Father, uh, Abba, I, I'm scared. Help me. I, I don't want to suffer. And what Jesus is doing is he's praying his desires. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And if you and I... If you and I really want to pray like Jesus, then we actually have to learn to pray the honest truth of our desires in the present moment, right? To, and, and, and to be content to leave it there. God, I really want the job. Like, I really want that. Even if, even if we're, not, we're not to his will yet, right? We're not to the, to the surrender yet. Let's, let's hold that off for a second. God, if you're, if you're, if you're willing, help my rent renewal be doable, right? Like, can we, can we actually pray that in an honest way to say, this is what I desire, God, my body has been in pain. Would you heal me? Right? And to just be able to let that simmer and sit there. And I have to wonder for some of us if, if maybe our struggle in prayer or if we're bored in prayer because we're actually hiding. Right? We're actually not coming forward with, with the truth of who we are, of, of where we are. And we think, well, you know, I have to kind of present to God, like, how things should be, and then maybe he'll do it. And maybe the, 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 the hidden dimension there is that 
we have to pray more honestly. I was reading some prayers this week in the Old Testament, and I thought, I think I pray pretty one-dimensionally. Look at David. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. You're like, can I say that, right? What about Jeremiah? You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. And I, I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long and everyone mocks me not really solving anything right he's just sort of setting it there one more what about Moses complaining to God in prayer about the people of God Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tent the Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled he he asked the Lord why have you brought this trouble on your servant what have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me why'd you why'd you do this to me God did I conceive all these people did I give them birth sassy what do you tell, why do you tell me to carry them in the arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on an oath of their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. That's intense, right? And I, 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 I was looking this week and I thought, is it, is it okay to pray like this, right? Like, why did this happen? Or, you know, I kind of thought, well, Jesus gets to pray like this because Jesus is Jesus, Right? But I don't, I don't think that is. I think, I think it's about presenting our will. But how do we balance that, right? Because I, th- I think that, um, I think we'll find ourselves very disappointed in prayer if we're always just saying, God, I'm praying my desire to you. Uh, I was reading the Westminster Shorter Catechism here. It's a, a set of theological principles. And they actually say, um, they actually define prayer in this way. Like, what is prayer? They say prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. And then look at that for things agreeable to his will. In the name of Christ, with confession of sins, which we'll, pr- we'll talk about prayers of confession in a couple weeks, and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Prayer is offering our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will, right? So that doesn't mean what you pray for in the desires isn't important, right? But it's balanced out by this desire for God's will, right? I think for me, a couple weeks ago, I was sharing this classic definition for prayer. Prayer is raising mind and heart to God. Um, often for me in prayer, I raise my mind, but I never quite get around to raising my heart. Meaning my head is engaged, and I think prayer then is about gaining insight, grabbing wisdom, depositing it in my head, and then I can solve the problem on my own, rather than being a way that our hearts are really engaged where the Father is speaking to us. But it's, and, and I know this is wrong because we're not primarily thinking things as, as people. We're more um, lovers than thinkers as, as people. And I think the key to understanding the passage then becomes the first word, which is Father, if you are willing. So we're pausing to say, Father, like I'm, I'm acknowledging who you are and... Um, I'm also acknowledging to understand how a father loves and thinks about us, right? I'm, I'm constantly looking for like fresh and imaginative ways, like how can we pray and how can we engage people in, in, in prayer, but what if actually the, the missing dimension is like just a belief in the father? Uh, there's a priest, I just love this, his name is Bob Michelle, he says this, you must try to pray so that in your prayer you open yourself in such a way that sometime 
perhaps not today, but sometime, you are able to hear God say to you, I love you. These words addressed to you by God are the most important words you'll ever hear because before you hear them, nothing is ever completely right with you. But after you hear them, something will be right in your life at a very deep level. That's, I think, a way of balancing our prayer where we're saying, this is my desire, but I have full belief in the midst of that. You, you are a good father that loves me, and I'm, I'm actually trying to, to, to get that truth resonating deep within our heart. And what's the second part then? Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus is present, um, presenting us with praying the desire, but then ultimately praying in an act of surrender. And this passage is also a really good illustration of unanswered prayer, um, which we're going to talk to. That's how we'll actually wrap up this teaching series. I want to address this idea of unanswered prayer. I know a lot of us in the room, we've prayed, heal this person. I don't want to lose them, and we lost them. Or we prayed, um, we prayed prayers of, um, you know, for our kids. We prayed prayers for our friends. We prayed prayers of guidance, and we felt like, why are you silent, God? So I want to I speak to that. And, and, and um, actually, in, I guess in, in a lot of ways, this passage is, a, is an exact answer um, to that. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But look at this phrase, yet not my will, but your wills be done. What is my will? The self-will. <laughs> Our self-will is so strong. Um, it's thinking about the ways in which um, we come into um, relationship and friendship. And what do we bring with us? Um, our self-will. And uh, self-will and prayer are actually both ways of getting things done, right? At the center of self-will is you and I grabbing, you know, the thing by the horns and saying, I got this, I'm going to figure it out. I pull myself up by, by my bootstraps, I'm going to figure this out and get this thing done, right? Um, I'm a sucker for uh, YouTube on um, productivity and routine. Um, and so if you go on my page, it's like that and then like the kids took over, so it's like Peppa Pig. Um, but there's this guy, his name is Andrew Huberman. Um, does anybody know this guy? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. Um, Stanford neuroscientist. He has perfected the morning routine. You wake up at 6 a.m. You expose yourself early to natural light. You hydrate with a little bit of salt in your water. Don't know why. Uh, 15 to 20 minute walk. Delay caffeine, 90 to 120 minutes. Cold shower for two minutes. And then you set and review your daily goals. And I'm like, I love it. I love it, like I'm taking notes, right? I think that a lot of times um, my prayers, there's a lot of confession on my part today. Um, I think sometimes my prayers are like these, these hopes of life hacks, right? These hopes of life hacks where it's like, that's pretty good wisdom, you know? And so if I like, if I like pray to, for God to do my will and I kind of like hack my morning with this, then um, maybe like I'll be able to pray in a better or a different way. Like I can, I can really like, do this on my own. And I, actually, that's the self-will at work. It's actually just like the complete I, idea. Of, and there's, pro there's probably good things, uh, um, you know, in terms of that routine and hacking your brain or whatever. But if we're really going to do the not my will, not the thing that I want, not the ways that I can figure it out, but if we're really going to do the but, but your will be done, then it's going to be about surrendering ourselves to God and presenting ourselves to God in an authentic way. Ronald Rollheiser says it like this, prayer is a question of unity and surrender, of uniting one's will with somebody else's and surrendering one's will to that other. Prayer is the desire to be in union with someone, especially in union with that other's will. 
uh, I've been spending time around our community um, with couples that are um, getting ready to get married. And it's been awesome um, to talk about how when two people are joining their lives together, um, you know, they're joining together practical things, um, you know, finances, home, um, they're, they're joining together ideas, uh, family of origin. But one of the things that um, people in marriage relationships are also joining together are their wills, right? This, this thing that I want, this desire that I want. And one of the things I've been talking about with each of these couples is um, when, when you get married, you're actually putting the other person's will over yours. And you're saying, what do you want to do? How can I care about you before me, right? That's the, the, the easy way to say it is you before me. Right? That's the, the simple idea that we're coming into the relationship with. This is exactly what it means to surrender. You're surrendering to someone else's way of being and doing things. And ultimately, if, if prayer is surrender, then if we're going deeper in prayer, then prayer becomes moving from like talking to God. And of course, then we're, we're, we're growing up in our praying and we're listening to God. But then I think if we're praying and surrender, then the goal is actually just to be with God. And that, that's ultimately prayer is relationships. When you, when you get to say, not my will, but your will, th- those are moments to just pause and exist and to be, right? You know, you're not trying to accomplish anything after that. You're just trying to say, I just want to be with you, which is great because G- what does Jesus say? He's prayed more earnestly after that. Why did he pray more earnestly? Because he heard the answer. He's got to go to the cross. And so he prayed more earnestly. I was at a restaurant recently, and this, this older couple was sitting there. Uh, they were in their 80s, and um, I don't know, maybe I was creeping on them a little bit, but um, after a while, I noticed that they were just eating dinner, and they really weren't saying anything, and I thought, yikes, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to be like this old dying person and, you know, be like sitting in silence at a restaurant. Sorry, that's not very nice. But they weren't mad, and I noticed they weren't arguing they were just sort of existing at the table with one another. Um, maybe they ran out of things to talk about. I, I, I don't know. But what if it was a beautiful moment of just being together? And I, I think to me what that represents is a depth of intimacy that I desire with God is to just be with God in that way. And so pray your desires. Like God already knows. God knows what you want. God, God knows what you need, right? And so that's the way in which we pray your desire. Pray and surrender, that the goal would be not to get God to do the thing you ultimately want to do, but to say, God, you know what I want to do, but your will be done in a way of surrender so that you and I might come face to face and just hear the still small voice that says, answered or unanswered, I still love you. That would be that goal and surrender. And, and in that moment, what you would find is acceptance where you face rejection in your life. That would be the moment where you're hearing words of approval about who you are when there is deep shame. And it would also be the moment where you do experience a freedom and a joy where there are moments of despair. So here's where I wanna end today. I'm gonna take out my timer here. Um, on, uh, on Thursday mornings, we've been praying, and this week, Rachel led us through an exercise um, called the Jesus Prayer. Um, and the prayer, there it is, um, is a breathing prayer. Um, and I, I'm going to set a timer for two minutes. You don't say any of this out loud. Don't worry. Um, you're actually just going to close your eyes and breathe. But we inhale. Um, I'll, I'll show you what it looks like. So you would say, Lord Jesus, Son of God, 
have mercy on me, a sinner. And um, no one's going to be looking at you. There's two minutes. We're going to do this for two minutes. It's no fuss, no manipulation, just presence. And um, there's no, you're not trying to accomplish anything right now but to just be. So if you want to close your eyes, um, I'll set a timer for two minutes here. And I'll just do it one time with you, and then you can do it silently for two minutes. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Take, take the rest of the time to breathe. Thank you for uh, some space and some quiet. In the Old Testament, we, we hear that you're found in the, in the stillness and in the quiet and in the gentle whisper. And for some of us, that means a, a, a confession that we're going too fast and we're living too loud. And something deep within us resonates with this idea that we need to slow down that we need to withdraw from the noise. I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom and know how to do that. I pray for wisdom in knowing how to do that with young children. I pray for wisdom in knowing how to do that with big jobs and lots of time. Um, I pray, God, to know how to do it in the stress of day-to-day -day lives, of making ends meet and finances and all these worries that we have. And God, I pray for us as a people that um, this would be the, the way in which our hearts are getting excited to just become present with you, to desire of being with you and in, in, in navigating our doubts and our fears and our anxieties. And I pray, God, that we would be drawn into deep belief that your good news is sufficient, that your gospel is sufficient, that the, the thing in this passage that you're going to do and accomplish is good enough 
and that we can rest in the finished work of your son, Jesus. And what, what that would mean for us is a freedom and a hope that we've never experienced before. And it would drive us into prayer that we would just be saying, I have to pray. I want to pray. It's the thing that I have to do because I desire to be present with my God. And so God, as we come to the communion table right now, may we be reminded of this good news and that we would experience acceptance and approval and hope and freedom as we share in this meal. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.